What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our brand new partnership with collar and elbow brand head on over to collar and and find out how wrestling passion meets street fashion as collar and elbow was founded on the traditional values of professional wrestling and it's bringing two entities working together to create a product 
intended to connect people on an emotional level. It's a symbiotic relationship where one cannot flourish without the other, and at Collar and Elbow, we strive to create a product that embodies our passion for professional wrestling expressed through street fashion and now you can use our promo code power trip to save 10% off your purchase at collar and elbow brand.com today launching today the collar and elbow brand and two-man power trip of wrestling partnership so get on over there right now and we'll give you a little bit more information about it later on in this episode and if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only john paz and john today on the show we have a guest that really we could say this is what the show is supposed to be made of and it is guests like today you remember him as the Equalizer, you remember him as Dave Sullivan, or as Evad, but Bill Dannenhauer joins the show, and yes, maybe Bill Dannenhauer isn't the household name that you would expect from somebody who wrestled as Kevin Sullivan's brother or was the number one Hulkamaniac, but as Bill Dannenhauer portrayed Dave Sullivan in the mid-90s in WCW, he was a part of one of the bigger angles of that pre-NWO era of WCW. Now, a lot of people do kind of look back at that, that it was a little corny, that it was a little, you know, maybe uh, behind the times, so to speak, with where WCW is headed in the next year or so. But Dave Sullivan was a gigantic part of of WCW's programming in that Saturday night and WCW Pro and WCW Main Event and all the shows that you watched every week for WCW, you saw Dave Sullivan teaming with his, quote, brother Kevin Sullivan, or you saw him going against Kevin Sullivan and his feud with Diamond Dallas Page, and he was always in the mix in maybe more of that fan-friendly, kid-friendly role. And I got to say, it's a predecessor to a lot of other characters that would come down the road. If you think about Eugene, there's a lot of parallels between the Eugene character and the character of Evad, a.k.a. Dave Sullivan, who was the dyslexic pro wrestler and the younger brother of Kevin Sullivan. But when you get to know Bill Dannenhauer, you get to know a lot about a guy who is definitely a football-made individual. He sounds like a football coach. He talks like a football coach. And he tells us about what he's been doing since he left professional wrestling. And it's pretty damn interesting, especially if you are a football fan, to know what he's doing and really uh, playing a huge part in uh, in the games from the headset perspective and being the voice in the booth. And that is a, uh, it's pretty cool when he tells the details of what he's doing since he's left professional wrestling. But I'll leave that to Bill Dannenhauer to give that the, uh, the, the just do, so to speak. But in reliving the time as Dave Sullivan, yes, we kind of look back at it with a little wink and a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a laugh. But he does talk very fondly about his time as the Equalizer and his t- time up there in the Portland Territory, and really gritting his teeth alongside the Grappler Len Denton and along Roddy, alongside Roddy Piper and Brian Adams and all these great individuals. That really, it's a crash course. In professional wrestling, when you're a young green guy getting into the business and somebody his size, obviously they would take to him very, very easily. And when he tells the stories about the uh, basically the, the the ass kickings that you would get up in that Portland territory as you kind of got yourself indoctrinated into the business is really cool. And if you don't know much about that Portland territory, we're going to dive into the later days of it. 
including hearing how Rowdy Roddy Piper played a part in the Portland Territory during his hiatus from the WWF in the early 1990s. And a lot of places, uh, a lot of people that ended up going to the Portland Territory uh, either on their way out of the WWF or using it as a catapult to get over into Japan. And we hear about some of his wars with Scott Norton. And it's a very, very cool walk down memory lane. And like I said, another really cool look into that Portland territory. But the meat of it's going to be about WCW. He's very candid about it. He is a huge, huge proponent of the beating of Bill Goldberg being the biggest mistake that WCW made. And obviously that football connection with Bill Goldberg It is pretty cool to hear what he's got to say. And even though our boss on the IRW network, Eric Bischoff, is a huge part of his criticism, I have to say that his take is definitely a little different than what you hear for the most part. And coming from somebody like Bill Dannenhauer, who went on to do so many cool things in the world of football, he definitely has his fellow football brothers back in Bill Goldberg and the defeat of Bill Goldberg being a huge blow to WCW. Now, as I welcome in John here, John, you are the biggest WCW fan I have ever met. You know everything about it with your eyes closed. You don't need to look up a thing. You can quote matches. You can go back and put yourself right in front of that television in 1994, watching Dave Sullivan, watching the Equalizer. So tell us a little bit more about what we have to look forward to in this interview with Evad and some of the highlights of this great chat with a guy who definitely fits the show like a glove, the one and only Bill Dannenhauer. Yes, Chad, back at it again here, the two-man power trip of wrestling, and this time a very, very, very rare interview with WCW alum Dave Sullivan, a.k.a. Bill Dannenhauer, a.k.a. Evad, a.k.a. The Equalizer, whatever you want to call him. Dave Sullivan is joining the show. And this is, like I said, super rare. You don't see him doing many interviews. And me being the big WCW fan like I am, like I was, getting him on was pretty cool and just totally, like, random. It's like, wow, get a chance to have on Dave Sullivan, talk to him a little bit. He's interested in the show. It's like, bing, bang, boom, boom. You get a rare and random WCW interview you know, for me and obviously for the fans and for yourself as well, but I am a huge WCW guy. Like Chad, like you mentioned, I absolutely love WCW. But we don't just talk about his time in WCW. We do talk about some other stuff. We do talk about Japan. We do talk about his time up in Portland for the NWA Pacific Northwest. We talk about his time with the grappler Len Denton, who is a, a former guest. Go out and check out that interview as well as we had a couple people mention on Twitter. They randomly were looking through the archives and found the grappler and just loved that interview. He was a ton of fun. We also do talk about Dave Sullivan, or a.k.a. Bill Dannenhauer, his relationship with Rowdy Roddy Piper, who at that point spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest. We talk about Brian Adams, a.k.a. Crush. We talk about Scott Norton, the legend himself. So a lot of good stuff up there in the Pacific Northwest and talking about his career. The Grappler and Equalizer, obviously, were two-time former NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champions. But then we move on, of course, to WCW, my bread and butter, or one of my bread and butters in in wrestling. I mean, such a big fan of so many different things. But WCW always stuck out to me. I always liked WCW a little bit more than the WWF for some period of time. And when the Equalizer was first brought in, you just look at him like, who is this big monster of a dude? You know, former football player, this guy, uh, 
he just looks scary as hell. You know, what, what are you going to do with this guy? They place him with Rick Rude, and, you know, can you get a more tough guy team? Can you get a more better pairing than t- teaming up Dave Sullivan, a.k.a. AKA the Equalizer, with Ricky Rude? So that was a perfect pairing. He was kind of his partner, kind of his bodyguard, kind of his you know, his buddy, if you will, and, you know, that was kind of going well, and then they put him with Paul Orndorff for a little bit, and, you know, things are going good, it's like, he's he's the prototypical heel, he just looks like a badass, just looks like a tough guy, you know, you can tell he's a former football player, but then they kind of do something a little bit, uh, you know, we say in the interview, it's a little bit silly, a little bit off the wall, a little bit different, but, you know, kind of fitting with the time of, the, you know, more of a cartoony era, more of a kid-friendly era. They make him Dave Sullivan, the brother of Kevin Sullivan. Those two teamed for a while, then obviously those two have a big feud. Then Dave Sullivan goes on to, you know, have a feud with the Three Faces of Fear and kind of, you know, make that somewhat of, of an important feud, an important little, little uh, you know, mid-card feud there, upper mid-card feud in WCW. But then they kind of do something uh, really crazy and something that we were really looking forward to getting his opinion on. And that was when he became the big Hulkamaniac, the big fan of Hulk Hogan, and obviously if you hear the theme song, you will you will remember it well, and you'll love it, and you'll see. He's a big Hogan fan, big Hogan mark. And what did he think about Hogan? Did he like that angle? Did he like doing that? Did he think it was silly? Did he think it was stupid? We get his opinion on that as well, and obviously big-time opinion on the EVAD character, the dyslexic brother of Kevin Sullivan, which is, as I laugh, it's a funny, weird, kind of strange thing, and like we mentioned with him in the interview, big tough brooding football player that uh, had a little bit of range to his character and they had him playing a lot of different characters doing a lot of different stuff like Evad, like being a Hulkamaniac like that DDP feud where he was obsessed with the Diamond Doll which a lot of people were then and probably still are now obviously you know for obvious reasons there but it was a bit silly you know he's in love with um, the Diamond Doll and he's shooting with DDP and then of course the whole rabbit thing with Big Bubba you got these two huge massive guys that could you know, knock people's blocks off and they're feuding over a rabbit. So we do go over some of the silliness of WCW at that point. And of course, we do talk about EZE Eric Bischoff. Was he a little harsh on the boss? Our boss over at the IRW network. Was he a little harsh? Well, that'll be your, you know, decision to judge that. I thought he might have been a little harsh, but hey, that's his opinion, and he's sticking with it, and that's what he felt. And we also get a very, very strong opinion, like you mentioned, Chad on Goldberg and Goldberg losing and obviously him being a former football player as well he a little bit of closeness there with Bill and his closeness to football so that was a real interesting I didn't expect to hear that about you know the whole Goldberg thing and the Goldberg losing and then he kind of goes into a little bit further he said he agrees with some of Mike Graham's comments about Benoit, Malenko, um, Saturn, Guerrero about what he you know what Graham thought of them and kind of not drawing money so this is a very interesting interview with Dave Sullivan aka Bill Dannenhauer we dig deep into WCW so sit back relax and enjoy Dave Sullivan if anything today's show is going to help you keep that song in your head of I want to be a Hulkamaniac and we'll all sing it together I want to be a Hulkamaniac 
Go out and listen to it if you haven't heard it in a long time. And if you haven't heard it before, please go out of your way and listen to that theme song. If you hear a little bit of Owen Hart's theme song from the WWF is kind of spliced in there, which is also kind of a nod to Jimmy Hart, that he is such a musical uh, god there that he could incorporate a a theme song like Owen Hart's into uh, EVAD, into I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac. So kudos to Jimmy Hart. And kudos to Bill Dannenhauer for coming on the show and taking a walk back down memory lane and reliving the days of Dave Sullivan. And we really hope that you enjoyed this episode, you enjoyed this interview, and please, if you haven't done so already, check out Collar and Elbow. Use our promo code POWERTRIP and save 10% off your order. Again, POWERTRIP is the code. You save 10% off at Collar and Elbow Brand. Dot com, Another brand that is going to be changing professional wrestling again, this time how you wear your professional wrestling gear and some of the finer professional wrestling shirts to come out in a long time are over at CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Come join us as well as all the great ambassadors of the Collar and Elbow brand today at CollarAndElbowBrand.com. Dot com and so much more to come with Collar and Elbow in the weeks to come here on the two-man power trip. And also get over to the IRW Network every Monday and download the Triple Threat Podcast featuring us, John Paz and myself, and the franchise Shane Douglas as we dive deep into current events, weekly crazy political issues, as well as what's going on in the wrestling world and as, as well as answering fan-submitted questions in our Ask Franchise Anything segment over at IRWnetwork.com every Monday on the Triple Threat Podcast. So, John, that's enough out of me. Why don't we get it on over to this interview with Dave Sullivan? So hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get this show on the road. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs. The phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with a two-man power trip in 2017 as we come to a town near you. TMPT hits the road August 12th at the Icons Collective Fest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. September 9th, the Subway one-year anniversary in Keensburg, New Jersey, with the hardcore icon, Tommy Dreamer. October 21st, we hit the Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. November 4th, we hit the big event in New York City. And the big one, the granddaddy of them all, the big guy, Wrestlecade in North Carolina on 1125 with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. 
there will be a Four Horsemen reunion for sure. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champion, you may know him as The Equalizer, or EVAD, or even Dave Sullivan. He is Bill Dannenhauer. Please enjoy. So this territory thing opened up in the area where I was living. So 
went ahead and applied for it and got it and have been working there since. Cannot uh, beat that. And obviously, you know, a lot of parallels between uh, football and wrestling and a lot of football players get into wrestling. And, you know, you cut your teeth in a lot of great territories before you got into WCW. You know, you're up there in Portland. You were down with the GWF for a little bit. But I, I got to say, we all do. We remember you from the days of WCW and the Dave Sullivan the EVAD, all that stuff. Uh, but basically, you know, leaving professional wrestling when you did, uh, were you happy to leave or was it something that you felt like maybe, uh, you know, down the road you could revisit it? What was your thought in uh, kind of exiting professional wrestling? Well, it just kind of felt like the time was right, you know, and I, and I did some part-time stuff with Oklahoma Pro Wrestling there for a while there for about four or five years when I was working with Walmart in their, in their, uh, and coaching some in their, uh, fitness area and work with people there fitness wise. And I just, I, I kind of played with it, but then I just didn't really, the itch didn't come back. So I decided I'd, I'd, I'd continue on in my coaching path. And that's what I did. Yeah, no, that's cool. And you definitely, you have a really sweet background, you know, looking at what you did in football and you played in the USFL and coming from New Jersey, New Jersey Generals were obviously, uh, you know, they they were pretty, yeah. uh, they were a pretty big deal there for for a little while. Uh, and the USFL, yeah, they were Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the USFL doesn't always uh, get remembered. I think the way it should. I know they've made a couple documentaries about the USFL, but yeah, Donald Trump, uh, New Jersey Generals, that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty big deal. So kind of seeing how the USFL was when it first launched and kind of seeing how professional wrestling was. Do you see the parallels between kind of the football training and the wrestling training? Uh, it's a little bit different. Football, you know, it's, 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 you get that break in between plays. Where wrestling is more, you just got to keep going and going and going until the match is over. So I think uh, a little bit different training. I think sometimes wrestling's harder than people really, really think it is. You know what I mean? I think it's just, we're just showbiz, but, Back in those days, you know, you had to work pretty hard, go 20, 30-minute uh, matches, draws, or whatever. And, it, and it, 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 you know, it's it's a different kind of conditioning. So you got to have a little more aerobic conditioning than you do with, with football. Football is really an anaerobic type of conditioning sport. Did you see a lot of wrestlers uh, coming from football that couldn't handle that difference in kind of uh, maybe the training or maybe the uh, – you know, the cardiovascular training of, uh, of having a last Oh, I mean, yeah, there's some football guys couldn't do it, yeah, that they would try to do it, but they just couldn't handle the the yeah, the aerobic type of training that it is. It, it take, it's a good – I mean, it's people, people you know, talk about it and stuff like that, but it – you know, if, you, if you're trained right and worked right, it, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a competitive battle, and it takes, it takes good conditioning. You've got to keep your heart and lungs up good. But it also doesn't hurt when you're six foot four and uh, 260, 70 pounds. So that also kind of plays big into getting into wrestling. So obviously, did you have people saying to you for a long time that it's something that you should look into because you look like the, you know, the atypical professional wrestler? I mean, yeah, people mentioned that when I was playing football and stuff like that. And then, you know, I started coaching right away when 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 the USFL went defunct, and then you know, kind of people talked about it. So then I end up getting a hold of. Uh, Lenny Denton and, and Harley Race, and then started uh, started doing my training. So I mean, it. I finally took the itch and went and did it. <laughs> I can't go wrong with either one of those names. And yeah, obviously Harley Race. No. Uh, speaks for himself. I mean, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest NWA champion there ever has been. 
and we've spoken to Harley Race in the past, and just even talking to him, you get the, the feel that every word he uses is special, and everything he says to you is to get a firm point across. So coming over from uh, football, was Harley Race uh, any bit intimidating to you to uh, kind of get you welcomed oh. in? He is. He's quite a. It was him and Bobby Geigel, and then and then Lenny Denton, and they're just they're good people. But you know they're tough people and and, and hard nosed. And but you're, I really respected that being from football. And you know Harley's son played football too. So I mean, he he had a good love for football. But he he's a tough sucker. I mean, I really respect Harley Race and think the world of him. Yeah. How, how could he's you not? Very, I mean, he's a very good uh... man. Class. He's a class act. He's always always. Always helpful to me. Always helped me in my program and everything that we did. Now, that's fantastic to hear. And also, yeah, and Len Denton as well, you know, and up in that Portland yeah, territory, obviously, you, yeah, you'd be tied to him. We, we've also talked to Len Denton in the past, and, you know, we've heard all the great stories, you know, of Portland. Obviously, he's a big <laughs> staple up in that Portland territory. But not a lot of people could still wrestle in that Portland territory because it closed down in the early 90s. So kind of what are your memories of teaming up there with Len? And uh, and getting involved with that Portland territory. Well, that was a lot, great, great learning experience and a lot of a lot of enjoyment. You know, Crush was up there with us, and and so was the Berserker, and then you know Johnny Nord and and Steve Dahl and all those guys. And so it was a great Scotty the Body. I, he's called something else now, but he was up there too. So we had a lot of great talent and a lot of good workers, and you know it was a, it was a great tor- territory to to break into and learn and, and, and be involved with. I mean, I had a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of great memories there with those guys and enjoyed every moment up there in Portland and, and that whole area, traveling and working for Sandy Barr and Don Owens and that whole group. And of course, Rowdy would come in on the weekends and help us with the shows and stuff like that. And it was a pleasure working with the Hot Rod, too. That is, uh, yeah, that's really cool because when Hot Rod did come out to the Portland shows while he was still kind of, I think he was, I don't know if he was in his uh, his time off between the movies and the WWF and going back, but uh, yeah, there's kind of what one he was part. Doing, yeah. yeah, and he played a, such a huge part in the Portland Territory, and he credits Don Owen so or he credited, excuse me, late great uh, Hot Rod, uh, Don Owen so much in his success. And I think Don Owen's a guy that a lot of people don't talk about anymore, but if you can, kind of share some memories of Don Owen and uh, how he ran that territory. Oh, he ran it really well. I mean, he was an old farmer, old rancher and farmer up there, and, and uh, he, he and his whole family had been in a long time, his brother and his son and everything. And it was a family business, and they took good care of us, and you know, kept us busy working and, and, and try to keep that territory going as long as it could. You know, even it was one of the last survivors when New York started getting big that that, st- that stayed in there and and, uh, and and kept the territory for as long as it could. So, I mean, he's a class act. He always the character, you know, because he was 86 at that time when he was still running the territory. So, and he was quite a guy. <laughs> he always had some good, good, good jokes to tell us and stuff. But, I mean, it was a fun territory. It was great. I mean, people don't realize that thing lasted for a long time and New York was getting big. Yeah, I mean, really, it did last until the early 90s, and there was a lot of greats, like you said, passing through there. And, you know, you're teaming with Len Denton, obviously a great guy to learn from. So kind of learning under the tree of the grappler. You know, he's uh, he's quite the character. He's uh, he's told a lot of jokes on this show, a lot of stories. He's done his own one-man show. Right. But what was, like, the main thing he wanted to, to kind of tell you and teach you as you guys started teaming? Oh, it just uh, – he really wanted to me to – 
really work on my using my size a lot because I was like John Nord. I was a big guy in crush. And, you, and you, when you're that type of a guy, you should work different than the smaller, quick guys. And he really emphasized that and worked with me on it and, and helped me tremendously become a, you know, a, a, a good big guy there at the time when I was learning, learning the business. Yeah. Two-time NWA Pacific Northwest tag team champions with the grappler. And you can't, uh, yeah. You can't deny that. It's again, it's a staple of that Portland territory that you know ended up going out of business, and there's not a lot of people that can still talk about it. But you just named a bunch of people. It was a big, a lot of big guys. So obviously, with the John Nord and a Crush, you know, how did you feel coming in at an early age, kind of going up with those guys and seeing how those guys treated themselves as big? <clears throat> yeah, I mean that, uh, especially Johnny. I mean Nord was a big because he'd been doing it for a while. Brian was a couple years ahead of me, and he was getting going. But Nord had been at Nord been at it a while, and he really knew how to emphasize the the big guy, and you know worked like a Stan Hansen or a Bruiser Brody and stuff like that. And so you kind of learn to emulate that, and really and learn to work towards that type of way when you're out there working. And uh, and uh, um, uh, you know, Crush was kind of a little bit different, but he. But he, you know, he was a good one. But, but I'd, I'd say John Norton, Lynn didn't help me the most when I was first starting out. Yeah, and Crush coming back too from uh, his time in the WWF because he was only there for a short amount of time. And then when Demolition <laughs> ended, before they brought him back, he was back in Portland, and that was now seen. That's right. A guy That's right. You're right. You're good memory. That's good memory. Thank you You're very right. much. I try. <laughs> I try very hard, but. You know, he's a guy coming back into the territory having tasted the big time, and you're obviously, you know, you're still you're getting your, you know, gritting your teeth. You're getting your chops all uh, shined up and ready to go on the main stage. Do you look at a guy like him and say, what can I learn now from Crush, also a younger guy yeah. at that time? Yeah, and he, and he was, that's where he helped a lot when he came back and, and uh, would show certain things and, and, and kind of explain things and working and stuff like that. And, and at that time, working with Eddie and those guys and that demolition thing taught him a lot, too, because those guys were great big men workers, too. And so uh, that helped him. And so he'd share those knowledges about, you know, how to work as a big guy, stay big, use your size. Don't just bump around all the place, you know, make make the guy work for the bump and all that stuff like that. So it was it was uh, it was it was good. I mean, those guys were great help. I, I think always enjoyed uh, John Nord and, and, and Crush, you know. Those were great guys, and then Scott, and also Scott, um, uh, the wrestler too. We worked together a lot too. Scott Norton, I don't know if you oh, remember yeah. him. Brush. I mean, uh, the, the pro wrestler. Yeah, we worked a lot together. We worked there and in Japan and stuff. And and he was another big guy that was a good worker too. That we we worked big matches. We worked the Texas Rope match and all that stuff. So had a lot of fun working with him too. Yeah, we'll get you had bangers with those few few head bangers with those guys. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, we'll get to him in a minute because I know you did have some uh, some matches with him. But that, again, it's that big guy, you know, that is kind of lost in today's professional wrestling. Guys are a little bit smaller, which is not, you know, something against them. It's obviously it's just just the way it is. But are you happening to watch wrestling at all these days? Have you kept no. tabs on what's going on inside the business? No, I mean not not real well. I mean I watch <clears throat> once in a while and just see what's going on. And uh, it's just, it's just all, it's not, I don't know if it's even wrestling anymore. It's like, it's just like a sideshow. <clears throat> I mean, they spend more time on the microphone than they do wrestling anymore. 
<clears throat> and uh, it, it's just it's just different. It's really different to watch it. The guy when they do their stuff, they're good fly around guys. But you're right, there is no big guys anymore. And they really, I mean, you think about when they go in the ring, when they do their matches, they'll talk fifteen. It seems like fifteen twenty minutes instead of going there and setting a program. The program's usually on the mic now. Yeah, it's become a television product, whereas back in you know in the 80s and early 90s, it was pushed into the house shows, it was pushed into the live gates, because that's where you guys made a lot of the bucks uh, compared to where it's a television right, product right. with guaranteed contracts. But, you know, talking about these younger guys now, and they're not, like I said, the same size, they're a little bit smaller for the most part, not everybody, there's still some big hosses out there. But a lot of the problems yeah. fall in conditioning with the smaller guys, and they're all into the weights. Now, as a football person as well as uh, being in wrestling can you see obviously how a smaller guy could want to fall in love with the weights and that of course is where the injuries start to fall when you don't condition correctly yeah that's true that's true i mean and they fly around i mean you got it you can't make a mistake in that ring today because you're going to get hurt because one big mistake you could break your neck the way they're flying around if you don't if the guy's not there to catch him or whatever or, or take the bump the right way you could easily get hurt or both of you get hurt today because of all the uh, flying and gymnastic type stuff, you know, it's 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 more gymnastics and flying around than it is wrestling sometimes. Yeah, it's not the uh, the big man uh, days of wrestling or even the pro wrestling days. It's more sports entertainment, more a little bit like like you said, a little more theatrics, a little bit more gymnastics. You know, do you prefer? Uh, more of the, more of that hard hitting, like you said, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody style, or can you kind of get into the high flying wrestling that is today? I mean, I can watch a little bit of it, but I just don't. I mean, it's when I, mean, I turn it on the TV, they're usually on the damn mic. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> like going, oh, geez, you know. I mean, I you know, I mean, maybe that's what the young kids want to see. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? The younger generation. So that's kind of a cool thing to watch all that stuff, and then see the guys talk, I don't know. And I, I, I mean, only the TV ratings can tell you that. So, I mean, uh, but as, a, as an old wrestler, growing up in a little bit different, when I grew up, uh, it was, you know, it was the, I lived in Omaha, and we were the AWA, and that was Vern Gagne, and she, those were all old type, those were all tough wrestlers where Andre started and all those guys. So, it's just, you watch today, it's just a lot different. I mean, but uh, obviously, they must be doing good on TV because that's what they keep showing, so I, I don't think Vince will put on a product that doesn't uh, isn't making him money. The ratings though are down. They've been down pretty much every year consistently. Oh really? So they're, oh yeah, yeah. So they must be. You know, they're doing something right as far as getting you know three million people to watch. But you know, years prior, you had five million people watching. So it's definitely less and less of people watching. I don't know if that has to do with viewing habits or maybe it could be the current product. Well, that's what they have to look. I mean, I mean, don't don't they have people that look at that? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, you got to you got to sit there and wonder if you if your ratings consistently go down, why are they going down? You know, and uh, what can you do to get those ratings back up? I know they're all making good money, but still, it's important. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to look at that. I mean, they're the only wrestling show on TV. So how do they, I mean? I mean, there's the other stuff, but they come on late at night. But they're the only one that's really in prime time. So you have to look at that. If there's no real competition, why are the ratings going down? Maybe you need some competition, like WCW, you know, gave them great competition. Right, right, right. Do you think right. that maybe the no competition thing is hurting them? 
It could. It's a good point. I mean, because it's like, okay, if you're going to watch wrestling, it's just WWE. I mean, T- is TNA still doing it? Yep, but they changed they, their name out of TFW. And they, they're usually late nights, right? Changed, but I mean, they're right. on a station called Pop TV that not a lot of people have. So they are on 8 o'clock on Thursdays, but not a lot of people have that station. Gotcha. That's why I haven't seen them for a long time. They used to be <laughs> on a decent time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, they used to, used to have them on yep, a little bit late at night, yep. Right. So, okay. All right. I'm just saying that. that I think that's – guys, you've got a good point. I mean – I mean, that's all there is, and so they, they have nothing to look against and see what they got to do to get better. They just keep putting the product on, which sometimes can make your product stale. That's a very good point. Absolutely. Very and good point. I before, didn't think of that. And before Wait, you I'm mentioned – I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, no problem at all. I'm sorry. I, before you mentioned uh, Scotty Norton, and I couldn't help but think of – Obviously, it was a part of the New Japan WCW show, Starcade 91 out there, uh, or part of their quote-unquote Starcade 91, the Tokyo Dome. What, did, you know, what were your thoughts of wrestling in Japan, the huge Tokyo Dome, Scott Norton? That was, that was, I really, I, that was cool. I enjoyed the heck out of that and working with Scotty. We'd worked a lot together. We worked at the Kindle match and a lot of different kinds of matches out there in, in uh, Portland, and that's what kind of caught their eye to do a match with he and I there and in Japan, but I, that was, that was a big thrill for me. I really, really enjoyed that and doing that with them and doing that with Scotty. But, um, but I mean, you look at, there's, you brought up a good example. There's, there's New Japan. They still got two wrestling organizations in New Japan and it's, and it's helping them keep strong in, in, in wrestling. So yeah, you might have a good point that only having one thing here does hurt us. Has hurt, is, is hurting the WWE because there's no competition. You almost want to bring which, back which, WCW. How do you get? How do you get better? How do you? How do you get better without no competition? Yeah, exactly. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You're right. Yep. Yeah, it's like uh, they pretend to compete with themselves because they have Raw and they have SmackDown. They have two different rosters for each show, so it's like pretending to have competition, but nobody's really buying it, and you could tell they don't even buy it themselves. No, no, it's not. <laughs> It's, it, that worked maybe a little bit at the beginning, but it doesn't anymore. You're right. People just know it's w, WWE. You're right. You're right. But, now, speaking of uh, WCW, you know, as far as WCW being the competition and WCW this, how did you actually get into WCW in 93? Because you started in as the equalizer. Uh, Dusty and, and Bill Watts just called me and and brought me in and wanted to start just working, you know, having me start working as equalizer that put me through Rick Rude and all that stuff. So it was a call from those guys, from Dusty and, and Bill Watts at the time. Because uh, at that time I was in fire. I was over in Puerto Rico working with Carlos Colon. So I was oh, wow, over there okay. doing the show and they, saw, and they saw me on TV over there and they gave me a call and uh, they brought me back to the States and I started working with the WCW pretty cool you know like uh, you get a call from dusty rose and, and he wants to and obviously dusty huge legend the business were you surprised at that point that you know you're getting a call from these guys or were you kind of expecting it no no i didn't have a clue i was surprised the hell it surprised the heck out of me surprised the hell out of me it did i'm like oh yeah sure love to so i mean it was a surprise when i got that call because they had to call me through dick Murdoch. murdock is the best is before cell phones guys i didn't uh, you know, hmm. the place I was staying in, I didn't have a phone. I mean, if I called somebody, I'd go down to the, remember these days, the pay phone? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> you know you you don't even hear of them anymore. So I mean, and so he got a hold of me because Dick Burdock was uh, running the territory for Carlos, and and he got a hold of me through Dick. That's pretty so great. It's kind of a little cool. bit of phone Dick, tag. Yeah, I know. Uh, old Dick Murdoch was quite a guy too. <laughs> you know, him and old, old Schlater, quite two tough hombres that I enjoyed being around too. And what was your relationship like with Dick Murdoch? That he was kind of like the go-between, or almost oh, like we were, a phone we, tag between between you guys. It, it was good because he he was my roommate, and he saw this as a good opportunity for me, so he he was there to help me. He was a really good guy about it. But yeah, we were rooming together there at uh, we had shared a condo. So he was he good. Dick's a good guy. Rest his soul. He was a good guy. I enjoyed working with him. And you know, and doing stuff with him and stuff like that. And he was a big help in my in my career. And I appreciate, always appreciate him for that. Now he wasn't much of a drinker, was he? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> we go we go to lunch just to have a sandwich or something. That sucker drink a six pack before we go wrestle. <laughs> on the way to jump. <laughs> then we continue on the way on the way home. Oh, he could put it down, man. I couldn't figure where the hell it all went. <laughs> But he could put it down, brother. He could put it down. Now he was no really question. good he friends could, with Dusty, right? So he probably had Dusty oh, yeah. a bit, and then yeah, he and Dusty, Dick Slater, and that whole group were real close. Yeah, yeah, because they go all the way back to the old AWA days and all that stuff. And Texas wrestling, they worked a lot together in Texas wrestling and the Carolinas. So yeah, they go, but they they go way they go way back. No Pretty question. great because a lot of history, a lot probably, of history there. Oh yeah, big time! And he probably had his ear saying, "Hey, I got this big guy equalizer, uh, you know, room with him. He's a big boy. You probably could use him in WCW." And then Dusty gives a call. You think he had a lot to do with you getting into WCW? I'm going to say he probably did. I didn't know for sure. I didn't know he was doing it, but I'm, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if he didn't have a lot to do with it. So. What, what did you think initially when you got in, into WCW? And obviously, you're with Rick Rude, a huge main eventer, world champion, WF Intercontinental <clears throat> champion. What did you think about Ricky Rude? I love Ricky Rude. We would crawl up and down the road together. He's he was a very good person. He was a good man. You know, I hate to see. I hated when he passed, but I, he and I. I mean, I know he was. He always used to get in fights and pick up people and stuff in his younger days. But he and I got along really well and traveled together. And, he was a good person, a good friend, and gosh dang it, I really felt bad when he passed. You know, because him and, and Kurt Henning were great guys, and not John Nord. They all went to high school together. People don't realize that. Nord, Kurt Henning, and Rick Rude all went to high school together. It's got to be an awesome high school. Oh, I know. Yeah, they were all they were all they were all going back together pretty good. Because Nordy was a good football player too. Yeah, that's an amazing list of guys if you think about it. And they all became great pro wrestlers. Obviously, Rude and Hennig stick out the most, but it's amazing. All came from the same place. Right, yeah. And, you know, and then you had Larry the Axe, Henning's dad, who was a big wrestler in the AWA at the time with Harley Race and all those guys. You know, Kurt's father. So, I mean, they kind of grew up with wrestling. Those guys would be around the AWA all the time, too. You know, yeah, and... and- and then you and Ricky Rude, you guys get into uh, you guys get in any fights? You said you like to get in some skirmishes, and obviously he's a real tough oh, dude. Oh, not right. I know. 
he was a good boxer. No, we got a little bit in Charlotte, but you know, it was it was the other they they started it. So I mean, I mean, we were just sitting there at a, at a bar having a beer, and a couple guys wanted to come in, and and, and you're just looking at them like, what the hell? You know, they're half lit up. So yeah, we had to take care of it, but it, wouldn't, it didn't last very long. But uh, no, but I know I just know Ricky. You know, he had a good background because he had Golden Glover for Minneapolis and. So he had a good background in boxing, and, and uh, he was. But shoot, he was as easy going as I ever thought he was. Anybody was, and I was with him in, in, the, in the WCW. Great, though, that somebody would pick a bar fight with not only Rick Rude but you. I would just look at you guys and be like, "All right, I guess I'll go to a different bar. Or I'm not going to pick a fight with I mean, these two huge guys." You know, they're loaded on alcohol. <laughs> they can't oh, be. Oh my something. god! Yes. You look at them like, oh, what the god, hell? Yeah. I mean, and we weren't, we weren't doing anything. We were just sitting there having a drink. So they, and they kind, kind of, of paired weird. you up a lot. Oh yeah, and they kind of paired you up a little bit with Paul Orndorff as well. Was that kind of by design? Were they looking to do something with you and Paul Orndorff, or were they looking to get you away from Rude? Like, what was the story with that? Well, I think they wanted to put Rude back to singles, and then the, so they put me with Paul, and then Paul and I started tagging together. Yeah, I mean, I mean, oh, Mister Wonderful. Oh, yeah. He's quite a guy too. <laughs> There's a tough old sucker. He's the he's still the guy that kicked boxed, beat the hell out of beat the hell out of Van Vader with with uh, with uh, with this with his flip flops on. <laughs> <laughs> Were you there for that that big brawl? Oh yeah, oh yeah, so oh what's yeah. What's the truth? Orndorff, Orndorff says he kicked his ass with his flip flops on. Vader says that's not the true story. What what's the real truth? Oh, I did. He, yeah, he went out and did that. Every you know, all, all bruised up and beat up. Yeah, put him. He got him on the ground and kicking with his. He broke about broke his toe. <laughs> Didn't have any shoes on. He had the flip flops. Now you look at that. Yeah, we were, that, was, that, was, that was a TV night because he because he wouldn't he went he was supposed to, see at that time Paul quit wrestling and and he was one of the one of the agents working TV and. uh they want a Vader out for an interview and you know, Vader can be Vader. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, he wouldn't probably wouldn't listen to Paul. So Paul just jacked his ass <laughs> and just beat the hell out of him. I mean, Paul's a Paul, Paul, remember Paul played, now, now Leon played football too with Colorado and stuff and the Rams, but Paul played with, with, with Tampa university before they closed. Now it's, now it's, Southern, you know, um, U.S. now with University Southern back Division One, but they dropped football shortly after Paul graduated, and they brought it back, you know, uh, and that's University of Southern Florida. But it used to be that used to be the University of Tampa, and Paul was a hell of a fullback. So he was tough a pretty guy. tough customer. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, Paul. Plus he was quick too. I don't think Vader thought he would be that quick, but he jacked him. That's why he was all puffed up for his interview. Dusty goes, what the hell? <laughs> I'm not going to do an interview now. He just got the shit beat out of him. What a locker room back then. Then you had like Sid and Arn Anderson with the scissor fight. There was so, so much stuff oh, going on back then. There was. You're just, uh, you know, and I don't, you never hear of Vince having that stuff. I, you know, I just don't know if he runs a better locker room or what the deal is. You just don't know. But you never have we all the instances we had in the WCW. You never hear that stuff in the WWE, or unless you guys do. But I never even we never heard of about it. But well, we always like had the, stuff. 
nothing like Orndorff killing Vader in the shower or uh, Sid stabbing on Anderson with a with a with yeah, scissors. Nothing like that. Scissors at the at the hotel at the hotel in a foreign country. I know, I know. Me, I just you just like going, <laughs> just like going. You never hear this stuff in the other organization, but it sure happened. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting guess Vince ran a pretty tight ship. Oh yeah, and then you know, I mean, like you said, WCW was a little bit, uh, a little bit different, a little bit rowdy. But uh, you know, did you feel like maybe the boys were governing their locker room themselves rather than having anybody else kind of deal with? Oh them? yeah, oh yeah, it was, it was, it was. I, from what you see, and I never wrestled in WWF or the WWE, but just from what people tell me, that's the difference. Is the locker room is ran by the office in the WWF or WWE, the boys ran the locker room in the WCW, which it's like, like we used to say when I coached football, it's like putting the, you know, the inmates in charge of the prison. It's not always a good idea. (laughs) You know, because when you're coaching, the coach has got to run that locker room and be sure things are done right. Otherwise, if you let, if you let the, like we always say, if you let the inmates run it, you're probably going to have some issues. And it ain't going to be good, and it's going to get higher up. You know, it just isn't good for the team. So, I mean, that's that's the problem about the inmates running the locker room. But it, yes, I'd have to say the WCW that was more of a case than what you hear in the WWF. Now, you know, eventually you, you're, you're done, basically done with the equalizer, and you become Dave Sullivan, a dyslexic, you know, uh, brother of Kevin <laughs> Sullivan, Evad, if you will. But how do they come to you and say, "Hey, you, you know, you, 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 you know, even though you're probably like ten inches taller, but you look like Kevin Sullivan. We're going to make you the brother of Kevin Sullivan, and we're going to start teaming you guys up." That was, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was Kevin because Kevin came into the office, and uh, gosh, damn, he's passed away now. But Graham, what was Graham's first name? He was a great. Mike. I really liked him. Mike Graham. I liked Mike Graham a lot. And he and he's very when he when he talks on the TV why the WCW went under, he's about spot on. He's about spot on. His 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 answers are about dang right. But anyway, he had a real good brain and about the business. Of course, he grew up in, with his dad, and then Kevin did too. Kevin's very smart, and they come up with the idea from from the movie The Twins, and they thought this would be a good thing to do. And this is kind of how they come up with the idea. And I said. Whatever, let's let's see what it does. So I went with it, but you know, but uh, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. But that, that was Graham, kind of Mike Graham and, and Kevin's idea. It is pretty interesting with the twins factor. Obviously, you're Arnold and, and he's Danny DeVito. Did you like the pairing with him specifically? Did you feel some chemistry with him? You I mean you guys kind of look alike? I, I guess is the is the thing that they were going for. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I got along. You know, because I. Kevin, Kevin and I got along too. I mean, I didn't have any problems with Kevin. I mean, shoot, I enjoyed working with him and, and doing stuff with him, and and uh, he was always good to me. And he he showed me most because you know he had a lot of experience. Kevin, but by this time Kevin's been around a long time. He's you know been in the office, so you know I learned a lot from him about that stuff. And and then with him and Mike Graham there, I learned a lot too. So both of them are very intelligent, had a lot of background in wrestling, and and understood the business very very well and what worked in the business. Now, you went from playing, like, you know, the dastardly heel, you're the, you know, the bodyguard at one point, uh, you, you know, you're, you're basically a vicious heel, and you go to playing a very, like, sweethearted baby face. Did you mind making that transition <laughs> like that? I didn't. I didn't like it. I'd rather have been the other, but I figured it, you know, it was something different to do, and, and they kind of thought it would be a good idea, so I went with it with them, and, 
And, uh, and, uh, but no, I, I enjoyed the other part much better and always will. No, I didn't did have as much fun do? being Dave Sullivan. Right. I didn't have as much fun did doing you? that. I, no, I did not. So, you know, you're EVAD, you're dyslexic, whatever. Did you kind of think that was a little bit silly in an aspect where it's like, all right, this is oh, yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, I did. I thought it was kind of weird and silly, yes. But I went along with it, so you got to you can't blame anybody. You decided to do it, so I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like they grabbed me and pointed a gun at my head. So, you know, I I uh, I went with it and did it. But I mean, no, it wasn't. It was silly and a little weird, yes. Right, and you had to be a good soldier, if you will. You know, you're just doing what you you what you're told. You okay? I'm going to make this gimmick work, right? Like I'm just going to make it work. That's that's what you do. You know, yeah. I think it's the football in me being an ex-offensive lineman. You know, they used to stick us in, in rooms and feed us shit all day. We're like mushrooms. So, you know, we kind of were team kind of guys. So this is what this is what's best for the team. We're going to get in and do it. And that's kind of why I did it, yes. Yeah, you're kind of doing it for the team. And plus when Dusty, the guy that uh, they gave Sapphire to and they put polka dots on, when he's saying, hey, would you mind playing yeah. this gimmick? They're like, well, you, you turned, you know, that crap into something good. Maybe I'll do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, too. You know. And that's what you think, too. You know, I mean, he did. He polka dot a goofy thing worked, didn't he? So much as no, people yeah. don't realize how good, people don't realize what a good worker Dusty was. He really was. If he wouldn't have been a wrestler, he probably wouldn't have been a preacher. Hmm. Good point. Definitely. And <laughs> funny. He, I mean, he could, he's good at getting people to, to believe. I mean, he was, he, and he could talk. I mean, the sucker, I mean, I could have been a hell of a preacher, too. <laughs> And the thing with, you know, the, the Dave Sullivan being Evad and Kevin Sullivan, it felt like the whole thing was just kind of brought on to kind of split you guys up. Like they bring in the Hulk Hogan factor, like we were joking around before, that classic song, uh, Do You Want to Be a Hulkamaniac? Yeah, have fun with my family and friends. You know, that whole song with Hogan. Did you think that was kind of a weird little turn, a little little twist that they put in that storyline? You became such a Hulkamaniac? Yeah, but it was kind of, yeah, it was weird. It was different. But, you know, I'm a team guy, so I did it. But, I mean, it's just, yes, yes. a lot of things we did there at WCW were different. <laughs> now, with Hogan, you know, obviously you're the, you're the big Hulk maniac. You're his biggest fan. But really, in, in essence, did you like the Hulks? Or did you get along with the Hulks? Or what was your relationship like with Hogan? You know, he, you know, we didn't talk that much. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit, but we didn't talk all that much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he wasn't like we were buds or anything. or went, did, I mean, he just... So I never really have an opinion on him at all, really, you know, because he really didn't, you know, he kind of kept to himself and he didn't hang with the boys, you know. He had his own locker room and all that stuff. Him and Jimmy Hart kind of hung together, so they were kind of the, they kind of were by themselves and, you know, they were nice to me, but, I mean, I never got to know him very well, no. You figure you'd get to know him very well because you were his number one fan, no? <laughs> You know how that shit works. They don't always work that way. <laughs> uh, you did get some good placement on the card, though, as far as you know, being a fan. You gave able to team with the Hulkster. You gave the team with Sting. Did you like where you were as far as on the card? Uh, now, Sting's Sting's Sting. Yes, I did. And Sting's, and that's probably another reason why I did it. But Sting's a good man. I always liked Steve a lot. Steve Borden's a very good guy. He has he has family here in Omaha. He's a good man. Dad was from Omaha, so I always liked Stinger. He's a good guy. I think sometimes he got a raw deal too. 
Oh, he uh, definitely did. The, the the original franchise of WCW, he definitely uh, could have been used a little bit better, I, I guess you could say. But he was he was so charismatic. He was so good. But I just remember you and Sting and Hogan against like Ric Flair and, and company, whether it be you know Arn and Pillman or or some form of Kevin Sullivan. You know, I felt like your placement on the card, at least you know, at least you were in main events. Did did you felt like you're like okay, you know, maybe this gimmick is worth it after all if they're putting me in main events? That's that's when you you kind of believe that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did, you know, and then you just kind of roll with it, you know, just roll with the punches and keep yourself going. So and obviously. And obviously, you know, they, they had the three phases of fear, which was kind of like the, the main feud. It was uh, the Butcher, Avalanche, and Kevin Sullivan. Did you like, right. you know, working with those guys? Did, did you feel like you had some good chemistry, especially with Kevin? Did you enjoy working with him? Yeah, I enjoyed working with Kevin. Yeah, I did. I liked working with Kevin. Avalanche was good, too. I didn't do a whole lot with Butcher, a little bit, but, you know, he's still good. I mean, I I, I didn't have any problems with the three guys. I mean, but Kevin, I worked a lot with him and always enjoyed it, yes. Yeah, I like Kevin. I enjoyed working with him and enjoyed being a stack. I mean, I enjoyed Kevin a lot. We had a lot of good times together there, so I can't complain. You know, he does kind of work a little snug, a little tough. Obviously, he's a lot smaller than you, but he is he's a tough guy, and he works a little snug. Being that ex-football player, is that the kind of style you like, like when the guy's actually yeah. work a little bit stiffer? Yeah, it's a lot better to sell. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it because in Jim, when I worked over in Japan and all that stuff, that's the way everybody works, so you just kind of got used to it too. And then I worked in South Africa and Puerto Rico and those different places. They are a lot snugger too, so – I mean, I, I felt better. It was I enjoyed that better, yes. I liked working that way, and I kind of liked I could sell things better and, and, and uh, perform better, yes. I always feel like with you, they always kind of try to do something like, we won't say silly, but, you know, in, in essence, a little bit, like, different, or they're trying to go really try to be, like, a super, super baby face. And when you fell in love with, like, the Diamond Doll, Kimberly, you know, which I'm sure a lot of people – Agreed with you. You know, you should fall in love. You had that feud with DDP. What was it like working with Paige? Did you like working with uh, DDP? And, and did you no. enjoy that angle where they're doing the whole Kimberly, you're in love with her thing? No, I knew that was all for him. No, I didn't didn't care for it much at all. Truthfully, what do you mean? Like they were trying to put him over you, kind of thing? Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was all to get him started. Yeah, him and Bischoff and all that stuff. Yeah. There was really no reason for the angle in the first place. So, that's my opinion. Now, obviously, they do another kind of, I guess you would say, somewhat silly angle with a Big Bubba, too, with the whole rabbit thing. <laughs> was that another one of those things, you like an eye roll thing, where it's like, okay, I'm feuding with Big yeah, Bubba. Yeah, they all, you know. And I like Bubba a lot. Bubba and I partied a lot. Barbara's a good son of a bitch, but that we we both laughed our ass off at that angle. <laughs> we we sit there and look at that. And we just would we would just laugh. Yeah. That's great. So you kind of both of us backstage saying the rabbit. What the hell? <laughs> Two big guys were scared of a rabbit. Are you serious? <laughs> He goes, how am I going to put this over? Well, I don't know, Bubba. Whatever you think best, I'll go with. <laughs> Jeez, crackers. Yeah. Yeah. 
funny times. Yeah, it's definitely you were involved in some, you know, obviously Evad, the Rabbit, the Kimberly Page. You're involved in some weird angles. You ever sit back and think like, wow, WCW, uh, that was a unique experience. Yeah, I do. I think it was, if you look back at the WCW, I think it was a unique experience for a lot of people. You know, it was really, it was different. And maybe in the end, that's why they failed. You know what I'm now saying? You said you kind of, you, you, yeah, now you said you kind of agree with Mike Graham. What did you mean by that? Like you said, you agreed with, obviously, when Mike said they failed for a reason. I mean, that Bischoff killed it. You know, he he didn't have a good wrestling mind. He kind of got his way in there through, to the politics of, of uh, at that time, TBS Sports. And uh, and uh, Mike, Mike's right. I mean, it failed because Bischoff didn't run it like a like a wrestling business. It did all this kind of weird stuff and all this stuff that didn't make sense. And it, you know, and why would you beat Goldberg? Who come up with that idea to beat Goldberg? I mean, you're rolling in the dough, all right? You're making tons of money. This everybody's buying. You think Vince would have beat Goldberg? Hell no, he'd have ran that thing dry before he'd have beat his ass. And when you, you beat Goldberg, how fast did the WCW start losing ratings? You know that. You're a TV guy. Oh, yeah. they uh, Not much longer than that. Me? Basically, they beat him in December, and then basically uh, January was kind of when the WWF took over and kind of didn't look back. It's basically a month or so later. Right, and at the time when you when you when he was winning, you were beating him in the ratings. Why would you beat him? You had everybody in the country buying in and turning on a TV Monday night instead of instead of instead of WWE Raw. They were turning on him just to watch that big fucker come out come out in those lights and fight. They had the they had it. Why would you beat him? What would make? Why would you beat him? That just shows you how screwy it was. I think a lot of backstage politics was politics, something that was very oh, prevalent. No in question. No question. No question. No question. And I and and I'm sure if you talk to the guys that are from WCW that are over in WWE, they'll probably tell you that's what you know. And I'm sure you've talked to them because you've been around them, and they'll tell you that's probably what cost it. And that's the big difference is there's not a lot of politics in the WWE. I mean, it's pretty made made at the office what they're going to do, and they run with it. And they're there to make money. And right now they're down a little bit, but I think they've done that to themselves. But again, they're 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 there to make money. And they don't. And I, they don't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say. You know, what did you think? I'm sorry to cut you off, but what did you think of Eric Bischoff and WCW? What was your relationship like with him? I mean, I got along with Eric. I just don't think he was fair with everything. I think he had favorites, and he did what what the favorites wanted to do. And he, I don't think a lot of times he did what was best for money and what we needed to do. Whoever got in his ear and told him to beat Goldberg was an idiot. Because there was no way you – he was hotter than anything at that time. Why would you beat him? Feed the monster, like the old thing. And like, you know, you've got these great football teams. You're going to go beat Alabama? Feed that monster, all right? I mean, it's the same thing. They're bringing in ratings. And then, well, you're right. When they beat him, it was, what, three months afterwards that WWE took over? And they sold the company for five. 
They sold, think about this. They sold the company for $5 million. Are you serious? $5 million for that? I mean, with all the people, all the payload that thing was, $5 million. Think about that. Crazy. There's like a library of footage is worth probably $60 million if you oh, think about it. I mean, that he, that, oh, yeah, that he shows on TV all the time now. I see my matches on his pay-per-view stuff. I mean, he shows all that stuff, and he got all that stuff for $5 million. And you're right. It's probably worth 60 to $70 million. You're right. You're right. All that footage. Do you have the network, the uh, WWE network? Uh, I did, no, but I but I don't. But I have friends that do, and they always call me and tell me when, when I'm on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, but they but uh, but I don't have it. No, but I've watched it before with them and friends. And I had it for a short time, but then I just quit doing because I never was watching. It. But uh, he, he says he sees the RWCW on it all the time. Oh yeah, there's and they, a ton. You think about it. A ton. And, he, and you think about he Vince, what a steal! You think about that for five million dollars, you bought all that that you can show wrestling twenty four seven on the on your network. Oh, he made a killing. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, and, and it was right after we, right after they beat Goldberg. So you know, I, I just think there was a lot of questionable decisions along the way, and I'm sure you guys have talked it over many times and talked with other wrestlers. I'm sure Harley shirts his thoughts with you. A lot of those guys have that have a ton ton more experience in the wrestling business than I do and, and you know, they killed they killed themselves. Now why did you leave WCF? Was it a part of the politics thing or you weren't happy there? Or like you said before you kind of the itch was out of your system? Like what, what was it was kind of a contract a, over? Yeah, contract was over. And so and we talked, and I thought, well, hell with it. And, I'm, and so I, I decided I was going to, you know, I still wrestled part-time. I did some stuff in Japan, and then I worked at o- Oklahoma, the Oklahoma one. I worked some other independents, and then I I started working, getting back into coaching. And then it was about 2001, I got out of it completely and went into coaching full-time. So I was kind of doing a part-time until about 01 different things and stuff like that. It was just, it just, yeah, it was kind of a combination of both. But I still kept in touch with a lot, and I still talk to certain guys and stuff that are friends with, that I'm still friends with and stuff. So, I mean, I had, I was a positive experience. I can't say all bad things, but you could see that when I left, even when I was leaving, it could be the beginning of the end, especially when they started losing talent to Vince, and then they beat their best guy that was over big time. Did you have any sort no. of relationship with Goldberg? Obviously, you know he's a former football player, stuff. But he, you were kind of I knew he Bill. Was almost coming in, but yeah, but Bill's a good guy. I knew when he played for the Rams and the Falcons, and he's a good guy. He's a good person, and Billy's a good ball player too. So I got to know him through football. But I, I he, he his gimmick was believable, and people buy into the damn thing, big time. And he got over, man, big overtime. I mean, they were going nuts. You saw the crowds; they were going crazy for that guy. You know. Did you happen to and catch I, him? And you, know, I, and you know, at that time, the only person you ever see go people go crazy for, until Rock and Steve Austin got over big, was Hogan, and that was it. Goldberg was like the new Hogan. 
mean, he was getting over, and then they beat him, and then it went to poop on him, and then they closed up, and then 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 Rock and Steve Austin got over big time. But before Rock and Austin, Goldberg was the guy, big time. Yeah. yeah. Did you happen to see his return most recently yeah. for WWE when he beat Brock Lesnar? Yeah, and see that's what see how smart Vince is. <laughs> and then then he then he eventually beats him and gets robbed. But I mean, Vince is out to make money. But that was good. That was good. No, he's he, he's he's good at it. He just didn't want to come back full time and just you know did the short stint. But but Vince put him over right away, which was smart. He's believable as hell out there. His gimmick. Oh yeah, legit badass. Yeah, yes. Oh yeah, he got that look. His his voice, everything. It's very it's very believable. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that are kind of made for wrestling too. Like you know, you just got it all. Charisma, the look. Yeah, I agree. Now, as far as like WCW, you know, obviously we, you ended up leaving there. You kind of not, you know, you saw the writing on the wall, so to speak, uh, of kind of them going downhill. But were you surprised at all when they were on top and they were really kicking no. into this? Was, was any of that a surprise? And that's no, no. I thought we, I thought the talent was always in the room to do that if they got it figured out and could put it the right way. The problem is when they had them by the balls, they did stupid things and they went backwards. And they had it by the balls. Instead of instead, of like the old saying in football, when you get a team, when you get it, when you get a, when you get somebody down, you don't let them breathe. You put your 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 foot right on their neck until they suffocate and you beat their butts. Well, WCW had that chance. They didn't. They let Vince come back, and then he kicked their ass. You get them down. You can't let them get back up. And that's happened. And then Vince bought it for $5 million. Think of that. $5 million. A lot of people could have bought that for $5 million. Hmm. That's a hell of an investment. It's crazy. And think about the, the Falcons and the Patriots. It's almost like that. Like, hey, you have the team beat. You oh. better finish them. Is that, is, is that the worst calls in fourth quarter history you've seen in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, you're down there. Why are you not – why are you not running the ball and get going to the field goal range? You got a great, you with best kicker in the NFL. What are you doing down there throwing the ball and using not using the clock up and making New England use their timeouts and then punch ahead for more? Said, what the hell were they thinking? You, you don't you don't want to give the ball back to Tom again. He's hotter than hell. You're right. <laughs> so run the clock out, run the ball. You got it down in field goal range. Run it out, and kick your field goal. Then you go up, then you go up by nine points and you win the ball game because Tom because now they got to score twice, not once. No, let's just go throw the ball three, four times and give it back to Tom. And see if he can't go down there and beat our ass. <laughs> Which cracked. he will and did. And he did, yeah. But it's the same thing. They had him. They had him. They had their asses beat. But you can't let them breathe. You can't let them up. you got to finish them, and they didn't. And that's exactly that's a good point. That's what happened to WCW. No, it didn't surprise me. I always thought there's no. – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's funny, you know, you were there, so you're there in 93, you know, you saw what it was like before the change happened, before, you know, the Hogan contingent came in, all the, uh, you know, the quote, New York guys came down, 
and it, it had to have been a difference in the locker room. Do you think that that really drove the ship into how the management changed as well? Because there were a couple boss oh, changes. No you had your Bill Watson into Bischoff, but do you think that that was the main factor in how you know it might have been mismanaged as it went down the road towards you know that middle part of the war? No question. No question. No question. And here's the whole thing is everything was centered around Hogan still, and you needed to move past Hogan, and you had your chance with Goldberg, and then you beat him. And I mean, that's why that's why uh, Kevin and Graham moved Hogan to heel because he, they were booing him. People were tired of Hollywood, of Hulk Hogan. They were starting to boo him. And so, I mean, that, that he needed to go to heel, which was a good move. But then you got a baby face who was taking off. You needed to run with that sucker, and they didn't run with him. They beat him. But you're right, but a lot of that, what you just said, is exactly the truth. And that affected the politics in the locker room, and, and so you weren't thinking of new stuff. And then, and then all of a sudden, Vince gets Austin to rock, and then, boom, it's over. And you see, these are the parallels like we were talking about the football because when you get that can't-miss free agent, you get that can't-miss draft pick, it's not always the best move for your team. So obviously they got Hogan. That was the best move for the team in 94. But it obviously changed the landscape of how they did business, guaranteed contracts, Hall and Nash, the NWO. Could have been the death knell of the mm-hmm. business. But I do got to say it's very refreshing to hear how much a football guy does love Bill Goldberg. So that is very, very cool to uh, to get out on the airwaves. No, I mean, he got over. I mean, that's the thing is he was over. And you needed around, you know. I mean, when when Vince got Hulk Hogan over, right, he ran with that sucker until it ran out. You know what I'm saying? And we didn't, oh, and that's what Curtis and the WCW, and we didn't do that in the WCW they decided to beat him. And see, that's the big difference is, is you needed to keep running with him because he got over like Hogan got over. It was over. He was over. And, you know, and then, 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 then eventually Steve Austin got over big time and Rock got over big time, and then whoosh, it was over for the WCW after that happened. And that's what I'm saying is so they, that when, 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 when the NW got over, but that's what they should have done. They should have just fed the NWO to Goldberg and got him over even more. But they didn't. Because you're right, the NWO got over too, but they should have fed him to Goldberg. Cause Goldberg and that's what they did with Hogan. They had all, if you remember when Hogan first got over, they fed all those guys to him from those certain groups, and they did the same thing, and that's what got him over, even bigger. Yes. And then Vince, then Vince started buying up all the territories. Very, very true. And as we start to wind it down a bit here, you're making some excellent, excellent points. Love that you love Goldberg, but as far as yourself and your career, do you have a favorite match or a couple favorite matches looking back? Well, uh, I'm trying to remember. God, you asked me after all these years. <laughs> uh, the Kindle Stick match with Norton up in Portland Wrestling was a, was a thriller. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And we beat the shit out of each other with that Kindle stick, giving each other welts. That was always a fun one. Um, I'd say uh, probably the one with Rude in the in the championship, Rick Rude and I versus uh, uh, half of the 
and then uh, Dustin Rhodes. I always enjoyed that match with those guys. Yeah, it was a pay-per-view main event with me and Rude yeah. versus Dustin Rhodes and Hawk, Hawk of, of Animal and Hawk. Yep. Yeah, I always enjoyed, I enjoyed that well. one, too. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Probably those two. Now, any favorite opponents stick out, like great chemistry? Would Norton be like the guy or, or maybe somebody else where you just yeah, like, oh, Norton, great chemistry with this guy? Norton was always good because we would just beat the hell out of each other. It was like a football match. <laughs> uh, probably, probably, yeah, Norton. I enjoyed my matches with Norton the Barbarian. Um, uh, with... Um, not uh, uh, who else would I say was probably I'm trying to remember. I always enjoyed my matches with uh, with uh, gosh dang it, who would who'd you mention at WCW? I did. Oh, I enjoyed stuff with Bubba. I did enjoy him too. Oh, big Bubba. He was fun to Kevin work with. Yeah, big Bubba and Kevin Sullivan. Those two I enjoyed working with too quite a bit. Yeah. Now what would you and say I enjoyed would be my like? Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I cut you off there. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. What were you, I'm sorry. You were going to say you, you enjoyed your time. Uh, with uh, with Borrow North, too. We did a lot of tags together. I had a lot of fun working different tags with him and stuff like that. We enjoyed working with him, yeah, because we wrestled the, the blondes, and we had a lot of fun wrestling the blondes and all those guys. And that was Steve Austin and Brian Pillman and all those guys. So I had some fun matches with them, too. Great little you know career, great run. Especially, uh, I think a lot of people do remember. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the WCW days. Not unfortunately, but maybe like that Evad character remember too much. Do you think that oh, yeah. you know, looking back, did you enjoy that run, or what was your favorite run of your career? I mean, not saying that it would be Evad, but what do you think was your favorite run? Did you like uh, Portland the best? Yeah, I did. That was a lot of fun up there with those guys and hot rod kind of guiding us and, and grappler kind of his agent, but had a lot of fun there. Yes. That was my most enjoyable. That and, and then I worked a lot over in Germany too for Otto Vons. And I enjoyed those times over there with all those guys, all the British and, and German and American wrestlers that were, were going over there all the time with Otto in Germany. I had a lot of fun with that too. What was your first reaction when they say to you, Here's your new theme music. Kind of what did you think? Say it again, sir. Your new, what, like when they gave you your EVAD, the EVAD Hulkamaniac theme music, what was your thoughts like when you first heard it? I thought, well, I hope I can make this work. It's just a lot. It's very different. But, you know, I just was going to do it. I just felt weird at first, but I just tried to figure a way to do it and get it done. The music is kind of memorable, as much as we might think it's a little corny. Uh, it's still, it uh, you know. It is very corny, brother. It's very corny. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ask you to memorize it? That's the only other question I think we'd have about the Oh, theme hell music. no. <laughs> I don't couldn't remember that. That was all Jimmy Hart, that idea. <laughs> Well, look, this has oh, been a man. ton of fun. It's, it's been great to walk back down uh, memory lane. And like I said at the start, this is one for our wheelhouse because we grew up during that time. It was uh, a big part of the fandom, if you will. But I guess, you know, you kind of said it before about, you know, what fans could remember about what you did in the business. Uh, but please, you know, looking forward and what you're doing with 
football and what you're doing. It's such a cool position. You know, where do you see yourself in five years? Do you still see yourself doing that same kind of thing? Do you want to get more into maybe like, you know, you, you sound like a head coach. I mean, I'd love to uh, maybe strap on some pads and uh, do some drills. But where do you see yourself in a couple of years down the line? Are you still going to be pursuing that football coaching career? No, I'll probably continue doing this for right now. I mean, I, we you get to a certain point, it's just going to finish off the war doing this and stay in good health and all that good stuff and, and see what else brings my way. But no, I'll probably do, I'll finish doing this probably right now. I don't know if I'll go back into coaching. I might, I might have, when I retire from this, I may go back and do some part-time coaching. Yes. And that's, that's fantastic. And any time I'm sure the Easter holiday comes around and you see that bunny, I'm sure you want to kick it about, uh, what, 60-yard field goal? You know, what do you think uh, What do you think you can get on a rabbit crossing the uh, the old goal line there? A good, a good punt and pass and kick competition would be good with it. <laughs> well, Bill, this has been a ton of fun, and thank you so much for all the time tonight and uh, appreciate it. And, uh Hey, listen, you can't deny it was it, it was a little corny, that music, but we got to say as we close it out, you don't want to be a Hulkamaniac, correct? Correct, correct. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate your guys' time, too, very much. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.